Hello, everybody. It's Hello. us again. And I just want to start by saying thank you, Annabelle Crabb, for the gift you just gave me, which was a ticket, a ticket to the Isabella Blow exhibition at the Powerhouse Museum in Sydney. And that was just the best hour I've spent in quite a while. It was pretty great, right? So I just bought tickets because I got an email saying, like, you know, tipping it off, there's an exhibition coming on. I went, my fingers were bleeding with the speed uh, <laughs> with which I um, bought tickets for that because I expected that it would be brilliant. And in fact, it really, really was. And now, right now, we are in, we're still in the Powerhouse Museum. We're in the Powerhouse Museum's Lace Study Centre. Which we just invited ourselves into. We are at present alone in the Lace Study Centre. <laughs> so it's this room with some lace. enormous sort of horizontal lengthy drawers. I mean, drawers yeah. generally are horizontal, aren't they? Um, I was thinking lace drawers. <laughs> ah, sorry. Uh, that are all full of different sorts gag. of lace. Bobbin lace, needle lace, embroidered lace. Contemporary lace, lace. Mixed lace, one. crochet. Mm. Anyway, it's all super interesting. So we're wondering if today's interruption might be a lace person. But back to Isabella Blow. If you haven't heard of Isabella Blow, she was a very well-known fashion editor in yeah. London in the sort of 80s, 90s. Um, and Famous for her crazy hats. Yes. And she discovered Alexander McQueen mm. and Philip Tracy, who's the sort of probably world's most famous hat maker, and Stella um, Tennant, the model, and Sophie, Sophie Dahl. Yeah. Uh, and was just a very well-known fixture in London society and a very... Um, sort of an aristocratic kind of nutter. Yeah. Who was became incredibly well-known for her idiosyncratic style of dress. Yeah, which is one of those styles of dress where you have to be very bold to carry it off. I don't, I don't think anyone would say she was a particularly beautiful woman, but she's certainly amazingly kind of very striking. Very dramatic in a sort of like, almost very like dramatic. an Egyptian sort of a way, like mm. huge eyes and very, very petite and just usually wearing antlers. Um, there's this great um, quote from her um, editor... Um, at the Sunday Times, or is that I photographed it because it was just made me laugh out loud. <laughs> um, oh yeah, so the uh, the former editor of the Sunday Times style magazine, Jeremy Langmead, said of Blow, she'd walk into the Sunday Times offices with uh, giant Jeremy Scott fur shoulder pads with antlers, <laughs> and then happily sit in the canteen with the News International printers and have roast beef and roast potatoes. <laughs> Which I just. The wearing of antlers when you are not a four-footed beast is just like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a it's thing. Bold. It's bold. It's bold. It's very it's, bold. It's fashion-y. Yeah. Um, also, I loved that she had, there was this, there's this amazing outfit as you walk in, which is some Manolo Blahnik heels and an Alexander McQueen amazing embroidered coat and at this... With a corset sort of fitted oh, into it. Yeah. so good. And this hat, very elaborate hat, which uh, she claimed on work expenses. They discovered a receipt in her Sunday Times expenditure for um, £35,000. <laughs> No, just the effrontery of that move. Like, I just, yeah, I needed that. Work expenses. Um, Give that a red-hot go at work. There's also See a really great quote work. from her former assistant who described, I mean, she's sort of a bit appalling, you know, in some ways, but that kind of makes her more splendid, I don't know. Um, Rachel Cook described her as, quote, a human triffid, <laughs> a human triffid, who smoked Benson and Hedges, who never wore underwear and whose touchstones in life were good jewellery and high birth. 
<laughs> Too good. The clothes actually also, which I, I really quite like, looked very worn. Like yeah. she'd worn them a lot and had done a lot of partying in them. There's this amazing Alexander McQueen jacket that's got a nice big cigarette hole yeah. on the side of it. That jacket is just like, it's sort of puffy, it's padded, it's got this crazy peplum that's sculpted mm. and padded at the same time, but also really, really nipped in. Mm. And, you know, all of the silhouettes that she fancied were kind of really nipped in waists and incredibly well tailored either in metal or mirrors or incredibly sheer chiffon. And then with, you know, a hat that looks like a dead squid. <laughs> it's, just, it's got a certain... I'm mean, going to say, I thought nearly every single outfit in there would have looked amazing on you. Oh, you are One hilarious. of them in particular, I, I think it's you. just criminal that you don't own. I know. In fact, we should just whip through later. Well, I we'll took a photo of that and so I'll tweet it out later okay. and show everyone the outfit that I think really should belong on Annabelle Crabb. <laughs> the, um, quote, um, the quote from her that I really loved where she, she explains what her obsession with hats is, and actually this reminded me of you. Um, Anyway, she said, fashion is a vampiric thing, she said. It's the hoover on your brain. That's why I wear the hats, to keep everyone away from me. (laughs) They say, oh, can I kiss you? I say, no, thank you very much. That's why I've worn this hat. Goodbye. Wow, <laughs> that should be my philosophy in life. Yeah. I would, I adore hats, and I would love to wear more hats, but I just don't really go anywhere that requires the wearing of a hat. Squid. Start wearing them on seven thirty. I mean, you know, have a little. Oh, sure, maybe we can wear them on when I get a minute. Um, I read a bit about Isabella Blow. One of my favourite celebrity memoirs is Rupert Everett's book Red Carpets and Other oh, Banana Skins. Yeah. It's really great. Um, and he wrote a follow-up on your not very polite insistence and <laughs> <laughs> begrudgingly actually really enjoyed it. It was, it was great. great. Um, then he wrote a follow-up called Vanished Years, which wasn't quite as good as that, but he really is a lovely writer and great eye for an anecdote. He you know, constantly hangs out with celebrities, so it's full of great gossip. Anyway, there's quite a lot about Isabella Blow with whom he was quite close. And... I I mean, it's so, the writing is so evocative because it seems like every time they encounter each other, it's either high tea at someone's castle or country (laughs) estate, which then turns into some weekend of complete decadence, um, or nightclubbing (laughs) in the best nightclubs in New York or London, running into Andy Warhol and, you know, whoever else, Liza Minnelli or whoever else is around. Um, But it becomes, they have a falling out because he begs her to lend him this diamond brooch of hers that she treasures very greatly. And she doesn't want to lend it to him. He wants to wear it nightclubbing. He wears it, he loses it on the dance floor at Studio 54 or something, never to be seen again. And so they have a gigantic falling out and then don't speak for years and years. Um, But then he goes to visit her. She has terrible, terrible problems with depression and mental health. And uh, he goes to visit her, this really horrifying story about visiting her in an asylum uh, and then she eventually committed suicide and had tried many times. Yeah, it was quite... Re- she killed herself in 2007, didn't she? It wasn't that yeah. long ago, yeah. yeah. Unable to cope with the prospect of a rudd prime minister. <laughs> she finally tipped her over the edge. <laughs> he talks about um, her level of depression was so profound it was very hard for anyone to understand it. He said all of her non-depressed friends just felt like, I, I just can't get where you're coming from here. Yeah, right. um, so, yeah, it was it was quite interesting but just really painfully sad to see someone who clearly was so creative and brilliant. He describes her as, like, she just changed the energy of the room that yeah. she walked into. And he said you could almost sense her coming, like the energy would change and you'd think Isabella's coming and three seconds later she'd walk in. You'd just get this sense of her energy changing. So, yeah, he said she just had this gigantically sort of, you know, dominant presence anywhere she went. 
I love, there's a photo in the exhibition which I remember seeing at the time and just, it's the most fabulous photograph and I think it was in Vanity Fair. Um, and it's a photograph of Alexander McQueen um, and Isabella Blow and they are kind of on this, they're, they're on the grass um, in the foreground of this giant castle and somehow the castle windows are aflame. It looks like the whole tower is on fire. Mm. And then in the foreground, there's Alexander McQueen wearing this incredible ball gown and a sort of lunatic expression on his face. <laughs> and the train of the ball gown is being sort of prancingly held by <laughs> Isabella Blow, who's wearing a kind of a sh incredibly beautifully tailored um, sort of shift dress um, with a funnel neckline and then a kind of... Um, uh, a, a cylindrical sort of hat that comes down over her eyes so really you can't see much of her face at all thanks to the funnel neckline of the dress and the cylindrical hat but you, she has this sort of maniacal <laughs> expression that you can detect nonetheless and it's the most exultant photograph mm. and it was it went with a story about how the two of them had changed fashion in Britain and given it this extraordinarily energetic and anarchic sort of vibe and but the picture is just you just want to stand and look at it forever it's it's um it's funny how too with fashion you when I think of people who work in fashion I think of people who look like Isabella Blow mm. or Andre Leon Talley at um Vogue like they sort of really elaborate you know sort of fashiony types but there are people who work in fashion who, like, Alexander McQueen, there's a video of him where they're at his country property or something, he's playing with birds, he apparently was a I great... it's her lover. country... Oh, it's hers, yeah, is it, right? Yeah, um, And he, if you saw him on the tube, there's just no way you would think it was Alexander McQueen because he just is, you know... He's wearing, like, cargo pants... And, and a flannel and, and... Terrible kind of trainers. Yeah, and... just some really daggy-looking guy. And it reminds me a bit of um, Grace Coddington who... Uh, was in that wonderful documentary, The September Issue, and then yep. she wrote a really b brilliant book about fashion too. Um, I think called, called Grace. I think Grace. it's just called Grace. Um, and she is quite dowdy in her manner of dressing. Yeah. Just It's like they put all their energy into making or creating, you know, really beautiful art and fashion and images and styling and stuff like that. But for themselves, they're not that interested in it. Isn't it interesting too that, um, and there's not a huge amount of biographical material in this exhibition we just saw. Like, So it's, it really is literally all about these mm. frocks and great hats, but... The, the colour in the narrative is given by these great little quotes and snippets. Like, there's this fabulous, oh, my God, the most hilarious coat, which is sort of, it looks like it's stitched together out of um, vinyl beanbag covers. It's incredibly balloony, and and it's it's displayed. It's <laughs> it must this, be, like, three metres it's wide. Huge. It's huge, yeah. It's like a children's swimming pool that's been deflated yeah. and kind of cut up, and, and they've, got a, they've got a fan, you know, in there kind of billowing it out, and... Her, one of her fashion colleagues or an editor or something said, yes, she wore this to go and meet a man on a tractor. She thought it was fabulously appropriate <laughs> because it would billow in the breeze on the hillside. And you just think, such a kind of screamingly inappropriate outfit. Yeah. And there's something so joyful in it as well. Like, oh, you know, totally, just, just yeah. I'm today I'm going to wear... Um, uh, a hat that's just a spiral that starts at my chin <laughs> and then goes up into a giant ostrich 
plume. And well, she was talking about watching some David Attenborough documentary and so she donned a white feathered cape yeah. just to sit at home and watch a David Attenborough show about birds because <laughs> it seemed appropriate. At her rural property and castle, she bought a flock of sheep just because she thought she loved the design of the sheep. There was some sort of breed of sheep that, <laughs> that she just loved their horns and their... I don't know, they're, they're, they're grooming. You've got to love that. But they... then it's amazing that that external expression of joy, I mean, there is something so trusting about in the world mm. to just step out wearing some antlers and... Oh, um, just and, amazing. And, you know, a dress that's made of the freshly flayed hide of a, of a, <laughs> of a Seville bull, you know. Complete with the dagger <laughs> with the mark. hole where the thing's been knocked over. Oh. Incredible. But, but then inside to be so dead or to be so despairing and, you know, that seems to be, mm. I don't know much about her depression, but to be so wracked with it that you can't even move for weeks on end. You maybe know. it was, maybe it's to compensate for the desolate inner yeah. world. I don't know. Um, I don't know. But it reminds, that whole, I, I love documentaries about fashion. I love these yeah, sorts of exhibitions. Yeah. I love all that sort of stuff, even though I'm not very fashiony myself. But oh, um, you're inordinately well dressed. <laughs> Like right now, on the way here, I said to Crab, I just beg that no one wants to take a photo of me today. And literally, as soon as we got here, photo. What a megalomaniac you are. <laughs> like, oh, this will be one of these things where there are crowds of people begging to, to take to, my photo. To touch me back off, <laughs> dirty hands. Oh. <laughs> um, now you made me completely forget what I was going to say, and it was so important and entertaining. Um, now lost to the world. <laughs> now lost to the world, thanks to you. Um, no, but that whole world, like, I don't really know anyone in that world. I have no entree to it, that, you know, sort of high fashion world of London, New York, whatever. Um, but I just read this book recently called The Swans of Fifth Avenue by Melanie Benjamin. It was recommended to me by my boss, who clearly knows me quite well. She know I'd be into that. Um, and it was about society women in New York in the 50s and 60s and, and, and beyond, um, headed by Babe Paley, the wife of Bill Paley oh, here on CBS. I love Babe. Oh, fantastic. And the collection of women who she sort of ran with hmm. and that world that Truman Capote infiltrated. Right, okay. And uh, he ended up just utterly scorching the earth by writing right. some pieces about this. Was it, was this it a circle. book or was it a series of It was a series of magazine York, articles. I think it was in GQ. Fair. GQ. And uh, he it was when his career was sort of on the wane and so he needed some sensational material and so he yeah. mined this these sort of friendships that he has yeah. with these women over decades yeah. who were just utterly fabulous and they were all about the, you know, fashion and the appearance and all the rest of it. And he was it. friends with, you know, Princess Lee Radzuil. Yeah, exactly. Like and yeah. so he basically burned just... Them all, he burned yeah. them all all like just egregiously just betrayed confidences really shockingly um but the book it's sort of I guess a novelized account of this true story of what really happened and it's really really well done and completely captivating and again just really takes you into that world of what those people live in which again is just so foreign to what we live in um yeah it was just a super super enjoyable read highly recommend it ah <sighs> I feel all satisfied now. The good thing about that exhibition too was that it's it's not huge. Mm. And sometimes when I get walk into a um, a really sprawling exhibition, that is, like I felt a bit this way about the um, Bowie exhibition that I was um, prescient enough to go and see when oh. it was on at the uh, um, Museum of the Moving Image, uh, ACME Australian Centre for the Moving Image uh, in Melbourne, and. 
it had little trailing off rooms and I kept getting anxious that I was missing something. You know? Oh, right. I know, um, sometimes you sort of also don't know which, which way should I go. Yeah, I, you know, I want to yeah. keep it in some sort of you know, order. But um, I really like the way they've laid this one out because mm. it's kind of a simple layout. The only fanciness really is in the clothes and mm. the hats themselves, which is exactly the way that it should be. I really, and it, I really liked it. And it makes me, and so did the Melanie Benjamin book, so now I want to go and read more about yeah. Isabella Blow and Anthony McQueen and Philip Tracy. Um, yeah. And the the Swans of Fifth Avenue book, I mean, it opened about five or six different rabbit holes. Yeah. Like, I'm dying to read about more about Babe Paley. Yeah. Um, so I love books like that that sort of then give you this entree into a whole different thing. Made me want to go reread re In Cold Blood again too. Oh, yeah. And there's a lot about Truman Capote and his just rampaging ego and his need to be loved by people yeah. and his complete... He had that famous black and white ball, which because yes. he wanted to have the yeah. best party in history in New York, which, you know, probably probably was. Uh, my favourite anecdote about Truman Capote is where um, he's sitting in a restaurant having lunch and he's flirting with this woman who's incredibly drunk, incredibly angry, husband then lurches over. And um, she's just asked him to autograph her body mm -hmm. and he's in the middle of autographing her, you know, inner thigh or something, and the drunk, angry husband comes over. He's enraged by this, and he says, well, autograph this, and he unzips his pants and flops out his willy. <laughs> and Capote looks at it and says, well, I don't know if I could autograph it. Maybe I could initial it. <laughs> <laughs> Such a great comeback. Hey, speaking of great insults, mm. I've watched a couple of episodes of the new season of Vic. Oh, look, I felt an almost sexual pleasure when that series came back on. I just, oh, I've just been really looking forward to it and... Your face. It's like that time I told you about the ganglion. I think I'm blushing. You are. Oh, it's actually God. beat red. <laughs> God. Come on. Um, um, yeah. <laughs> Just moving right along. Beep. <laughs> Back to beep rather than your ridiculous <laughs> fantasies. <laughs> yeah. um, and it is everything. Oh, I mean, it's, it's just, just, it's more of the same, and that is great. Oh, I completely agree. And just, I laugh aloud watching yeah. that show so much. Like, just the, I, I'm sure I need to rewatch because I'm sure I miss stuff because yeah. I'm just laughing so constantly, and it's pretty rapid fire. Yeah. Like, there was a bit where they were in, there was like three just bang, bang, bang insults in a row delivered to Mike, who's the press secretary. I can't remember <laughs> all of them, only the last one sticks with me. It's like, um, what did you shave that mustache off Freddie Mercury's corpse? <laughs> Just full of fantastic it's lines. It's like it's getting more pointlessly profane as well. Yeah. Like, what about that thing about the Queen Mother or the Queen? Um, oh, no, it's just like it's the most eye-poppingly rude and. Oh, I think I did insults. hear that, but I can't. That's from the vague bell, but I can't. Remember, I can't remember. Yeah, there's a lot of like just <laughs> desperately offensive things just yep. cast aside, like yeah. it, which I really love because it's not like, hey, I'm delivering a really great line. Everyone, listen yeah, up. It's, it's just, just like, yeah. yeah. It's, it's total Armando Iannucci, though, oh, isn't it? Because, just, oh, I don't know, he just, he just loves to cuss that guy. Oh, he's just got a great line in just profane, cutting yeah. insults. Just yeah. so, so good, yeah. I just, if you haven't watched Veep, I mean, really, what are you doing with yourself, listeners? In the first, I remember when the first, when Veep first started, I reckon I watched the first two episodes and found them really underwhelming. And then, and I wonder whether it's one of those syndromes where 
they have to write a show a certain way to get a pilot, you know, mm. and the pilot has to be a certain way yeah, to kind of maybe. leave the network. And yeah. then it just sort of careers off, you know. Mm. Have you been watching any of those, um, oh, it's not called Showcase, oh, blah, 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 Showroom? I um, fully these, intend to, but I just haven't yeah. yet. Yeah. So the ABC has commissioned like six pilots of kind of comedy series um, and they're on iview. And I think there's some sort of, you know, vote for the one you want to be made into a series. Right. Um, it's a good idea, really. And Which ones have you watched? Um, I've watched nearly all of them. Um, I want to watch the one called The Letdown. That's the one that I think is the best one, actually. Okay, right. Yeah. Um, that's about one, mother's, one made mother's by groups, the right? catering show Lasses as well. Oh, yeah. pretty good. That's called um, Bleak, I think? Yes, that's called Bleak. Right. Well done. See, I love how Is you it actually Bleak or is it a comedy? Um, no, it's a comedy. Right. Um... And it's about this girl who loses her job and then comes home to find her boyfriend shagging somebody else and then um, she tries to move back in with her parents and they're crazy. And, you know, <laughs> it's it's handled with a bit of catering show sort of, right. you know, comedic. I just couldn't disaster. love the catering show anymore, basically. No, I, I just And part of the kind of slight reservation about this show is just like, oh, stop with this thing. Put your aprons on and get back in the kitchen, you know, <laughs> which is terrible um, and unfair because it's good. But The Letdown, I think, is the best one. Um, and What about the one about the foreign student? I can't remember what that's called. Oh, Ronnie Chang. Yeah. yeah that's really funny too, actually. What's it called? What's it called? Um, I think it's just called Ronnie Chang International Student. I don't know. <laughs> it's really good, though. It's really funny. It's about this group of um, newly arrived Asian students who are um, trying to, they're at Sydney Uni and they're trying to get a textbook and this bunch of absolute yoiks, sort of, you know, St Paul's College dwelling, you know, upper class twits, um, challenge them to a drinking competition <laughs> with hilarious results. <laughs> it's good, yeah. I kind of enjoyed all of them actually. But Are they just like little 10 minutes sort of half thing? half an hour. Oh, half, half an hour, hour so okay. they're like proper length things. And is it um, like a sort of competition style thing where whichever one gets the most hits gets to go on ABC One or something or is it just its own discreet little... You are really pushing Sorry to be the knowledge grilling you here yeah. as if you're um, a politician on 7.30. Yes, exactly. Um, the Letdown, um, though, has... Um, uh, it, it's about a, a mother who's just given birth to a baby and is kind of like struggling with, you know... Um, wow, that's just unusual. At all. <laughs> but it's, it's about unusual. her going to um, uh, mother's group, right. and um, and it's yeah. I mean, I'm I'm describing it so well, aren't I? I'm no, but I, that strikes me having recent. Not that I ever actually did have a mother's group, but uh, strikes me as rich um, territory for comedy. Yeah, it's um it's hilarious actually because it's the ultimate fish out of water experience. Don't yeah, you think, having children. But it's also um it also. I think promises to be it could be a really good series because it, it's centered around this mothers group and mothers groups always kind of puzzle me because um, uh, they're kind of a gathering of people who have only got one thing in mm. common, you know. And mm. as you get older, I guess the opportunity to randomly meet people, mm. apart from when your kids go to school, that then you randomly meet people. But um, it's just it's it, it's a it's a really cool concept actually. I think it's also that that thing about when you've got a newborn baby, there is nobody who even people who've had a newborn baby six months ago, there's nobody who cares as much about every last little thing other than other people with newborn babies at about the same stage. Because for your first one especially, because every I don't think I ever said as often 
is this normal? When I, as when I, I had know, a newborn right. baby. And so the only other people who really care and that you can say that to are other people with newborn babies. So you'd be wasting like, well, last night he had a feed at, you know, 1am, but today, this morning it was like 1.20am. Is oh, that normal? Really? <laughs> and then someone, another human being who is genuinely interested in that, but like only yeah. in a self-referential way because yeah. they're gathering information to work out if their kid's normal as well. But like, <laughs> um, also you just sort of, oh, everything about having a child just violates every... <laughs> presumption you initially made or you made for all of your preceding life about levels of intimacy like you know like you know when you like breastfeeding and you have someone in the hospital or the midwife center or whatever you know I, I was having a conversation recently with a friend of mine who um in her early 40s had her first child she's like oh my god people will just grab my boob <laughs> like yes that's right that's the secret of motherhood <laughs> Complete strangers <laughs> will grab your boob yeah. and that won't be... I mean, there won't even be a, would you mind, or they don't buy you a drink. It's yeah. just, like, yeah. straight in there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I loved that. I was very yeah. comfortable with that. Oh, yeah, I'm <laughs> sure. Um, <laughs> but the best thing about the letdown is actually that it's the the mother at the centre of the story is played by Alison Bell, who is um, just... I just think she's such a great actor. She's one of Australia's... Great comic actors. I, um, I will definitely have to get yeah. into that before it disappears off there. Um, before we run out of time... Oh, yeah, uh, what else? Oh, 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 oh. Here's the thing. Yes. <gasps> so... Anyone who listens to this regularly knows that we're fans of Here's the Thing, which is the Alec Baldwin, Alec Baldwin. podcast. Um, there's a new podcast as well, incidentally, that, a more local one that I've been listening to. Um, I've been listening to Slate's Gab, Political Gab Fest. Oh, yeah. Um, ever since I found out that Malcolm Turnbull listens to it then while kayaking on Sydney Harbour. You <laughs> and your Malcolm while... Turnbull obsession. No, no, I'm not obsessed. I just, you know, I just am, I just break into peals of laughter thinking about him paddling around on Sydney Harbour pursued by a bloody boat full of water police <laughs> whilst listening to Slate's political gas fest. <laughs> it is a good podcast. Anyway, um, but you know that... Um, uh, Dennis Atkins from the Career Mail and Malcolm Farr uh, from the from News Limited have just started doing a political podcast. Yes, which I haven't listened to yet, but I'm very keen to. It's very funny. Those two have got giant brains and very odd senses of humour. <laughs> well, that'll be but, good. Um, just yeah. can I just squeeze yeah. in one extra yeah. local podcast before we move to here's, here's the thing. Um, the Australian newspapers started doing some podcasts and Dan Box, who I highly rate as a news reporter, oh, does a lot of courts and crime, has uh, done a podcast called Bowerville, which is very <gasps> serial in tone, if you're a fan of serial. So he's gone to a town in New South Wales called Bowerville where three children um, were murdered years ago. Uh Nobody's ever gone to jail over it. It's still this big festering wound in the community and he's had amazing access to everyone and it's just put together really, really well. It's very compelling. Highly recommend it. Oh, I can't wait to listen to that. Yeah, I do. That's I really a, recommend it. That's the most frightening, awful story mm. and... Yeah. I know because it's, it is that and he does delve into sort of some of the race issues involved um, because the three children were, were Aboriginal that you think if three children went missing in the same street in uh, Mossman, yeah. do you reckon that we wouldn't yeah. have heard about it? Like yeah, it's pretty absolutely. outrageous. Anyway, um, it's really good worth listening to. So here's the Ooh, thing. Excellent. And um, I'm also enjoying Fran Kelly and Patricia Carvel's podcast oh, as very well, good. which is um, great and it comes out at a predictable time and I'm starting to understand why people, people like are annoyed because <laughs> there is this sort of podcast anticipation is quite you know mm. um there was one like last week when Kelly and Tarbellas didn't get theirs up on time and I, I was a bit like 
come on. And then I felt a bit bad about feeling like that because we're so shithouse Alec. That is true. Um, but anyway, here's the thing. Alec Baldwin, I nearly just... I, I may have punched the air when I checked my unplayed podcast lists and I found that there was an unplayed podcast of Alec Baldwin interviewing Anthony Weiner. You Anthony Weiner, for anyone who doesn't I've got remember. I've questions for that guy. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Anthony Weiner was the guy who ran for New York, was running for New York mayor and he was busted um, sexting, I think is the term, images of his Weiner. Yeah, just sending photos of his cock to, yeah, to um, random women. University students. Yeah. And, and he um, not only did he get busted and then that sort of blew him out of the water, he was busted again, doing yeah. it a few years later. And his wife is a quite... Um, she's the deputy director of the Hillary Clinton president. Clinton. She's very senior... Okay. Clinton staffer, and at the time I think was a staffer for Clinton in the, um, well, she was in Clinton's 2008 campaign yeah. and she worked with her in the State Department, like very well-respected figure with this clown. Huma Abedin. Yes. Abedin. Abedin. Anyway, so he's shown up. And she's an absolutely stunningly beautiful woman, not that that is um, at all relevant, but I'm always completely transfixed by pictures of her. She's just, mm. she's um, quite extraordinary looking. So Ween is shown up to be interviewed by... Alec Baldwin. Yeah, because there's a there's a documentary about to be released about um, about Wiener, <laughs> Wiener the man. I mean, poor guy. Like, really, the world would have been about fifty percent as interested as it was in his story if his surname wasn't Wiener. Like, mm. I mean, it's almost something that you would just work out very early on. I better not ever take a picture of my willy and post it to anyone because the headlines Potential are irresistible. Is, yeah, right? and he, even like, in this interview he talks you'd about... You'd almost have it cut off, wouldn't you? He talks about even in a poli in this podcast, in a political career, because it's Anthony, you know, so A, Wiener. Yeah. You know, vote for A, Wiener. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so many problems. <laughs> I know. Well, you really owe your parents, don't you? Um, so the funny thing, I don't even know where to start about this podcast conversation either. Like, So, of course, I just listen to it straight away because I think I want to know everything that goes through a person's mind Same here. when they text their willy as a serving, you know, um, congressman. And to, it gets out. Yeah. Um, but the funny thing is, like, the conversation starts with a discussion of regulatory reforms that Wiener would have undertaken if he had become mayor of New York. Yeah. And that goes on for about 25 minutes. Like, Easily half the podcast, yep. It's almost a performance piece, this conversation. Because, mm. you know, as a listener, you're kind of like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm pretending to be interested in, you know, rates notices. And, yeah. Um, yeah, that's right. When are we going to get to the obvious questions about how did your wife find out about it? Um, how do you feel about, you know, the shame? And but Yeah, you want all that stuff, yeah. And then it sort of becomes absorbing because of what they're not saying. And then there are kind of these moments where he's sort of astonishingly frank about his family or he kind of swears and it's kind of a perforation of this mm. political But then Alex sort of tends to constantly, just as he's about to say interesting stuff, Alex sort of just cuts across the top and then doesn't let it go into any of the emotional terrain it's by the end of it at a certain point because I started off listening thinking yeah I want to know like the human experience of all of this and then at a certain point I realized no we're not going to get that because this is two uber alpha males um 
megalomaniacs who do not know how to address this, who do not have any sort of sense of like self-reflection or any emotional connection they can make with it. Every They are looking through this whole experience through the prism of what did it mean externally for your reputation and your career mm. and how do you translate this into taking your career to a better place? I know. It's like a life coaching session by the end because like Baldwin keeps saying to him, you got to get back in the ring, get back on the water. Like, is <laughs> yes. he these sporting met- metaphors? You know, and you're thinking, well, yes, either that or stop taking photographs of your genitalia. I could, they both make it clear that they're in therapy as well mm. and I can only imagine if their therapists ever listen, they would just be weeping or maybe just ecstatic with joy because they think I'm going to be able to sting these dudes for years because <laughs> there is so much work to be done here. But he obviously, and there's, there's kind of forms of words that he uses too to talk about his own behaviour that are so obviously ingrained into him after hours and hours of therapy but he said, look, he said, there's something wrong in my brain where I don't, I don't have, I don't fire on all the right cylinders. Yeah. And, and um, there is something that would make me have inappropriate communications with somebody that I don't know. You know. He basically seemed to say he was unable to think through, he was always in the moment and so mm. he could never really think through consequences. And he said mm. that... I actually disagreed with this analysis, but he said that this is why politics really suited him at the mayoral local government level because he just gets stuff done. Yeah. Someone just rings you the problem and you just problem solve it yeah. and it's done. Yeah. Um, I know I can solve that. I'll send a picture of my willy and uh, yeah, it, it <laughs> reply was, by return post. It was a really oddly absorbing podcast, but not really for the right reasons. <laughs> yeah, it was almost, yeah, it was like an anthropological experience. Yeah, it really was. But there's was. this really interesting bit right at the end. And it's almost like they don't know how to end the conversation. And Baldwin's saying, you've got to get out there. You've got to get out there. You've got to get back out there. And Wynne is sort of eventually, he's been really cool and really kind of open and, yeah, we'll talk about this. And he, and he keeps talking about my scandal, when my scandal happened. And then Baldwin keeps chipping in with, yeah, oh, that's totally like my scandal. Like, I'm like, I can't even remember what his scandal was. <laughs> and then at a certain point, Anthony Weiner goes, look, to be fair, I mean, I just think what happened to you is like a drop in the ocean compared to what happened to me. And he actually... Fair call. He, well, it's true. What's he talking about? Is that the time he's he yelled at his, yeah, his daughter, daughter and it was recorded? Yeah, yeah. 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 But it was funny. like, I'm going to... I'll scandal your public humiliation, my public humiliation. But but Baldwin phrases like, I need to ask you one more question to get to something I feel like we haven't been to. And then Weiner sort of arcs up a little defensively, like, I think I've been really open. I think we've yeah. covered, like, everything that... I mean, you're thinking that I haven't been open. I've tried to be completely frank. And yeah. then Alex sort of backpedalling. And then the question Alec wants to ask is... Um, what do you want your son to, you know, learn yeah. from this experience and stuff? And then Weena starts to actually answer it and say, well, how I'd like my son to view it is... And then Alec cuts her out of the top and goes, no, no, I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in... It's like, that is one of the few things I'm actually interested in here. It's just like, oh, man. Alec just kept wanting to bring it to, where's your career going to go now? You're going to do yeah. some teaching? You're going to do some this, that? Oh, man. It was quite, quite the thing. Um, okay, I want to see the documentary, though. Oh, yeah, same. Definitely was. Oh, I watched The War Room that you recommended on our <gasps> television show when I get a minute. Did you love? Yeah, it was great. And I must say, uh, James Carville, just that yeah. was another thing that made me think, oh, I want to read a bit more about James Carville and by James Carville. That speech, the, the bit that mostly sticks with me is the speech that James Carville, Carville gives to the staff at the end. Yeah. And he says, um, 
there are two things in life that you can give that are really precious. One is your love and the other is your labour. Yeah. And then he goes into this thing about love and labour. And it's, I, I don't know if he made it up off the top of his head, but it was yeah. really profound and moving. It was fantastic. It was just, you sort of really loved him by the end of it. It was great. Yeah, um, we're out of time, but any other quick little things you want to throw into the mix? Mm, not that I can remember right now. Um, I... I'm reading Catelyn Moran's More Anthology, which oh, I'm yeah. really loving. Cool. Yeah. Recommend it? Yeah. I'm definitely. reading My Life on the Road by Gloria Steinem, which I'm also really loving. Oh, That's you're great. interviewing her, right? Yes. Next week. Um, and the book's really lovely. She seems really kind-hearted and very genuinely interested in people. And yeah, it's great. It's a really good read. I'm sure she'll enjoy interviewing you. Uh <laughs> <laughs> so, Gloria, I'm here. <laughs> what do you want to know? <laughs> great if you, like... Would it be incredibly ballsy if you were interviewing some like famous writer or whatever, and then you just sort of plumped into the seat and said, "Okay, where do you want to start? Like, <laughs> what do you want to know? I'm an open book." But some people, like John Ronson, was a bit like that. Like he was asking a lot of questions, yeah. not when we were rolling, but when not rolling, and which is, I think is often the what mark. About of how a... we talked about him on when I get a minute, and then the next thing you know, he's contacting you on Twitter. That's that just freaks me out because I, I had to go back and watch it straight away to think, what did I say? What, the, what exactly did I say? Because now I know that John Ronson's actually heard it. See now, let's see, let's see if you're hearing this John Ronson. Yeah. <laughs> see what you get to see about this puppy. Um, all right, well, thanks, everybody. Get yourself to the um, Isabella Blow exhibition oh, if you it. live in Sydney. Do God, it. it was just awesome. Run, don't walk. See you later. Bye.